0: servants, be subject to your masters with all respects, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps Good morning, everyone. A beautiful day to worship our God. When I look in this room, I see people made in God's image. I see people who've gone through a difficult week. I see people who have begun new jobs, new tasks, new semester. I see people preoccupied with the things that God has given them. And I see people rejoicing that God has blessed them with a Savior like Jesus. I see people rejoicing in knowing that God the Father has nothing but their own best interests at heart. People with peace. Tranquility. for they know that their treasures are not here on earth, but in heaven. People who know that the things of this world are just for, uh, given to us to steward. For in the end, we will receive what we desire more than anything else. To see our God face to face. And as we see him face to face, on that faithful day, all our worries, all our anxieties, all the things we worried about in this world, will just melt away. The blood will just rush away from our head, and we'll be lightheaded because, for the first time, until and for all of eternity, we will finally be free in the presence of God. This is why we're here on Sunday. This is sort of a rehearsal for the day when the Lord comes back. We are wrestling with our hearts to to practice being in his presence and to enjoy the fellowship that he has given to us. For the next six weeks or so, we have a new sermon series, and it's entitled, Save Me, O Lord. Save me, O Lord. And we see this phrase throughout scripture. We see it in the Psalms, when the psalmist is is asking God, save me from my enemies, real danger, real life-threatening situation. And David or, or the psalmist will, will turn to God and ask for help. We see it when Christ is entering into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as we celebrate it. When he returns to Jerusalem and he's ready for the last week of his life knowing that he will be mocked and crucified for the sins of his people. And as he rises upon the fold, people around him are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, which means God saves us. God saves us. And I hope this phrase is not simply a phrase that's out there in the ether that you sort of just look at and study. What is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? But I hope this series, these words, actually come from your own heart. Save me, O oh Lord. Save me. You, God, save me. I need to be saved. And I pray that with this series, the Lord will give you a fresh look at salvation, that the Lord will restore joy in knowing the Lord, that the Spirit would do a mighty thing in all of us. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning that you have given to us. And we ask of you, Lord, to bless us through your word and through your word alone. Your word is that which you have given to your people to read, to study, to meditate on, through which your spirit works in our hearts to bring life. And that life is simple. That life is knowledge of you, That life is knowledge of our sins. That life is knowledge of your forgiveness. That life is knowing you and being known by you. Nothing more, and nothing less. And so we ask of you, Lord God, to do the work you promised to do in your scriptures. To save your people. So, Lord... Save us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This has been the question that philosophers have asked. This has been the question that any good movie would ask. Any good TV series would ask. Any good book would ask. This is the question that anyone sitting at a bar together late at night having conversation would ask. Or for those of you who grew up in the Christian faith, this is a question you ask when that last night in the retreat and you're just exhausted and you're sitting with your friend, that you will ask. The question is this. Who am I? Why are we here? What's the meaning of life? We toil day and night. We work morning and evening. We analyze our relationships to, to, the, uh, to the to the to the to the second. We look at our finances to the to the very penny. And then there comes a time when you watch that meaningful movie, or you had a quiet time and you ask the question, "What is this all for?" What's the meaning of life?" Because there's one thing that we all start to realize is that we can't take anything with us when we pass away. And we start to realize that no matter how much we try to make a name for ourselves, we will be forgotten. If someone were to ask me, Pastor Young, tell me about your father, all right? We have some time. I can, t- I can tell you about my father. Someone asked me, "Tell me about your grandfather?" Well, okay, that will take a little bit less time. Tell me about your great-grandfather. How about your great-great-grandfather? I'm not much to say. People are forgotten. If we were to ask. Just in general, and and play like Jeopardy and go through all the famous people that we can name and say, if we get 80% of people to raise their hand and say, I recognize that name, how many names could we actually come up with out of the billions and billions of people who have come through this world? The question is heavy. The question is important. Do I have importance in this life? Is there meaning to everything that I'm doing? Or as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, is this simply a chasing after the wind, a vanity of all vanities? Scripture gives us an answer to that. And I believe it's the most satisfactory answer that's ever been spoken in this world. Not only because it satisfies, but because it's true that there is a God in in the heavens who created the heavens and the earth. There is a God in, in triune form who created us in his image with the longings to know something or someone greater than us. And that longing implores us to search and search and search. And today, many of you, you are here to be restored because you have start to search in wrong places and you, you want to hear the good news again. Some of you here have maybe not not heard of the good news. And this is your first time hearing, okay, what, what does God have to offer to us? In this passage here today, we're going to look at three different things that the Bible teaches us about the meaning of life, About salvation, about who we are as human beings, and how God has entered into our lives, and how God is changing our lives even today. So, in other words, how God has saved us, and how God is saving us now, and what God is saving us for as well. Here in verse 21. Peter brings into his writing a point of contact between Christ, the Son of God, and the people that he's talking to. He says this, For to you who have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his ways. Christianity teaches, the Bible teaches, that in our lives today, there is suffering. And we as human people understand that this suffering will always be with us. Those of us in the medical field, We rejoice, right, when we find new techniques to stave off cancer. Those of us in pharmacy, we rejoice when we find new medicines that can that can cure and heal someone. But we all know in the end that we cannot do anything to stop the inevitable. We rejoice in those little victories but suffering and death eventually enter into our lives we watch the news some of us more more, more often than we should and we hear what's going on all around the world there's suffering people are dying people are put into slavery People are lost. And even we ourselves, living in this first world, who are sheltered from the physical sufferings around us, well, there's one place we can't escape from. That's our own very hearts and souls. It's no wonder in the first world that we here have a lot more psychological problems and issues. because we've shielded ourselves from all of this, the sin within self, the suffering within, it just comes out. Anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness, whatever it may be. This condition of suffering that we all experience, the question that every one of us always has is this, does anyone understand my suffering? How come no one understands me? And no matter how close of a relationship you have with someone, you're like, let me share with you my suffering. Let me share with you what's on my heart. And by the way, that's a good thing to do. But we know that no matter how much we share, that other person can't understand us completely. And for many of us, there's a sense of frustration. What do I do with this? The gospel enters into the lives of his people Jesus enters into the lives of his people through that thing which we all experience in the human condition. It says right here, Christ also suffered for you. There's nothing more beautiful in the Christian religion. There's nothing more beautiful in the Gospels than to know that Jesus Christ himself, who was fully God and fully human, who walked amongst us, has suffered every type of suffering, has been tempted in every such way and knows your pain intimately because he is the God of gods and he is as human of all humans. Jesus doesn't look at your sufferings. The, the, our God doesn't not look at your sufferings and just sort of tap you on the shoulder and say, There, 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 it'll be okay. But He enters into our very lives and He knows you. That in and of itself is a joy for us who know God. Don't worry if other people don't understand you fully. In fact, expect it. But rejoice when you know that Jesus knows you, that the God of the universe knows you, that the God who created all things, the God who is just, the God who is loving, the God who is for you in his glory, who knows you inside and out, will do everything in his power. To make sure that you know you are loved by Him. To make sure you know that you are secure in Him. To make sure that you know that your inheritance is with Him. This is the God who loves you. This isn't some voice, this isn't some ear that you listen to while you're talking on some couch. Who you pay $40 an hour to, and that's well, pretty cheap, $100 an hour to, and, and walk away. But this is a God who knows you intimately and will do everything, once again, in His power to manifest His love and His glory in you. How beautiful of a story that is! And so that enables us. And this passage here about 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 uh, about servants and about about um, about about people who have um, um, about uh, uh, people who have um, money and things like that. That that they're they're told. Listen, know that you're loved by God, so that you can love one another. So that. You can bear with one another's sufferings. Have you ever once, you know, known a person, you thought, you know, this person is, he's a genius. He knows everything about coffee, just coffee. And, and you love coffee. And you're like, I, I love coffee. And then you go to your friend, let say, say, I go to Eric, I go, Eric, listen. I know you like coffee, and sort of, but, and I like coffee, and, but let, let's talk to this guy who really likes coffee. And you and I go to him and go, tell us about coffee, oh, enlightened one. And as you hear him speak, we rejoice together over coffee. when we rejoice as individuals first over the the beauty of God's love for us in our suffering. We're able to hear one another, but I'm not your savior. You're not my savior. I'm never going to understand you fully. You're never going to understand me fully. But what if I take you by the hand and say, let's go to the one who knows both of us and worship him. That is the beauty of what God has done for us. This is the example in verse 21 that he wants us to follow. As as Christ has sympathized with our sufferings, let us sympathize with others and let us bring each other to the throne of God that we may be healed by him and him alone. This Jesus is the one who committed no sin. And no deceit was found in him. This was a Jesus who was reviled because of what he spoke about true things. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He continually entrusted himself, the son of God, to his father in heaven. So I implore all of us, look at your humanity and ask God, God, this condition of this brokenness of this world, you understand it and you understand me. Because you, Jesus, have gone through the same thing. And you, Jesus, who did you turn to? Even you, the very Son of God, you had to turn to the Father. If you had to turn to the Father, surely all of us must turn to him as well. The second thing that he's done for us is that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, this is very important for us as Christians to understand. Where does suffering come from? Where does suffering come from? And it's one of those questions that you'll hear your children ask you and you just throw up your hands. I don't know how to answer that. You'll take a college class on on, on suffering and you'll throw up your hands and you go, I don't know what this this is talking about. But the the question is answered right here. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. This is the good news. The good news is that suffering came because suffering was a product of sin. Before there was sin, there was no suffering. But we ourselves as human beings, we understand that if I wrong someone, that someone's going to suffer. It's the way exchanges work. If you owe me $20, right? David, you owe me $20. David doesn't pay me back. Someone suffers. (laughs) (laughs) Someone suffers. If someone says a harsh word, someone suffers. If someone abuses their authority, Whole bunch of people suffer. Suffering is a product of wrongs. If we could trace this back, and this is what the Bible does, the Bible traces this back to the original wrong or the original sin which is the fact that we've been disconnected with God by not trusting in him. We believe Adam and Eve, the the, the, the people that God created first, in perfect fellowship with the Lord, do not trust God himself. Satan said, surely God did not tell you to eat from this tree. Doubt came into their minds. God must not be for us. And eventually, God, the devil, won over their hearts and they ate of the fruit which God forbidden them to eat. We believe that ever since that moment, when sin entered into the world, that suffering began to increase and increase and increase. And as suffering increased, sin increased. Because guess what people do when they suffer? They sin against someone else. And then they continue to sin against someone else. And the whole world begins to suffer together. It says here in Scripture that Christ Himself bore our sins. All the wrongs that were done, all the wrongs that were done, all the sins that were committed, God forgave when he died on that cross. And when he did that, he said to us who know God, that the purpose of that is not simply so that we can be forgiven, but it's so that we ourselves can die to sin. God's love for us is so immense, so huge. He died for our sin, for our shame, for our sufferings. And how immense is this love for us? You know, sometimes I wonder, and this, I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters here, especially who know the Lord. Sometimes I wonder if we understand fully what it means that God died for our sins. We enjoy the good news that God died for my guilt and my shame. In fact, The whole world likes that. Someone's going to forgive me for my guilt and my shame. I'm there. But oftentimes, we forget that when he calls us to die to our sins, he's also called us to live for righteousness. Righteousness. It's easy for anyone to say, I love the gospel because it gives my soul relief from my guilt and my shame. But all that does is enable our idolatries so we don't feel guilty about sinning. There have been times in my life, and I, and I think many of you probably have experienced this as well, of people who take advantage of you. Maybe they ask to borrow money from you all the time. Maybe they're the ones always asking you help at school. Maybe they're the ones at work who always try to get you to do the night shift with them. And you be kind. You say, okay, here you go, there's 10 bucks. I'll buy you dinner today. They wrong you. The first time you go, it's okay, I forgive you. But they don't change. They do the same thing. And you go, okay, I forgive you. They do the same thing. They go, oh man, thank you for, you know, I'm short of money today, you know, can you buy me dinner again? You know, so, so, so it's like the 12th time. You would say, and I would say, that this person has no intention of changing. But this person, if I say to him, "Hey, it's okay. I'll get it for you. I'll get it next time," and I say, "Hey, it's okay. It's no problem." That whatever guilt they might have, whatever shame they might have, it's gone now. but they're still sinning against you. We oftentimes, as God's people, we just go to God and say, I need my conscience to be clear so that when I keep on sinning, I can come back to you and say, just forgive me, and you'll forgive me again. That is not what God has called us to. And in fact, that just leads to more suffering for you and for other people. But God says he did this so that you might live by righteousness. You were saved from sin unto righteousness. You have a new heart that enabled you to forgo to, to your old life and to live a life Kind of life. A life that esteems the Lord and His grace, and a life that esteems others around you, that seeks to forgive and to relieve suffering and not add to it. A life of grace, a life of mercy. Brothers and sisters, This is good news. God's salvation is not the bandit he puts on you and you know that bandit is going to fall off. God knows your suffering. He's here to to relieve it. God knows that the source has been sin and he's here to forgive it. And thirdly, lastly, he says here, by his wounds you have been healed. Do you believe that? What are you talking about, Pastor Ian? Do you believe that you're healed? Do you believe your sins are forgiven? Do you believe that God hears you in your suffering? That it's, it's not, there's no death here. That God is here. He hears you. That God is for you. We are sometimes our own hardest critics. We'd rather suffer in our own hearts, in our own selves, than go to God. We'd rather stew in our law breaking than go to God and ask for forgiveness. But Scripture says right here for those of you who know God, you are healed. You are healed. You are alive. You're not dead. So, why do you keep counting your own sins? Why do you keep hearkening to the past and the sinful ways that you, you lived? Why do you keep reminding one another of the wrongs that you've done to each other? God says, as far as the east is from the west, so I have removed my sins from me. If God has forgotten your sins, if God has consciously forgiven them, if God doesn't even think about them anymore, why do you? Why do you dwell so much on them? You've been healed. Go forth in righteousness as someone that's been healed and rejoice in the Lord. It would be odd, right, if someone who was cured of cancer would come to you and say, listen, I have these these pains, these ghost pains and still. And, but the doctor says, cancer is gone. It's not even remission. The cancer is gone. There's nothing there. Yeah, but let me explain to you. It's like, why are you talking about this? We, we would find it odd. We would hear the testimony. We would expect maybe the first five minutes to talk about what they suffered. But we'd, we'd expect the next 55 minutes for them to talk about God's healing power and glory. And what he's done. You want to hear fifty five minutes of how I (coughs) suffered suffered and go, Oh, by the way, God healed me, end the story. But the testimony of a Christian is the other way around. We know that we are lost. We know that we have once been slaves to sin. We know that we were once hopeless in the midst of suffering. That's who I was. But let me tell you now, Given the rest of these 50 minutes, let me tell you now where my hope is. Let me tell you now how I deal with suffering. Let me share with you the God who loves us, Let us work together and confess our sins together. Let us share our sufferings together before the Lord Himself, who knows all things and loves us tremendously. You are healed. You have been fully restored in God. That's the good news. You know, it's easy to fear what other people say about you and the God that you love. It's easy to fear that. It's easy to fear suffering for the sake of the gospel. But suffering for the gospel, applying the balm of Christ's blood to one another, It's the only thing that we can do. It's the only task that we have in this world before us. There was a time when I really feared what people thought about me. And the message of the gospel that I had for them. But I realized something. Just like I said before, one day no one's going to remember you. And guess what? One day, no one's going to remember me. They're not. They're not going to remember me. We'll all, be, we'll all be gone one day. So why do I keep talking about temporal things? Why do I talk about inconsequential things? Let me tell you the good news. Jesus alone saves. My only audience and your only audience must be God alone. God is the only one who will remember you. God is the only one who loves you. God is the only one who takes care of you. Fear not what the devil can destroy the body. Fear not the opinions of men and women. Fear not what your reputation may be here because, like I said, it'll be long forgotten afterwards. Fear God Himself. Love him. Honor him. Serve him. He knows you. He loves you. And surely he will lead us home. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there is no one like you. There is no one, nobody like you. The world tries to make you into their image. The world wants to soften the message of Jesus. The world wants to soften Jesus himself. The world wants to say Jesus just like any other religion. The world wants to say that Jesus' philosophy is just like any other humanistic philosophy. And We know that is not true. For who else has a God who suffers along with his people? Who else has a God who comes to answer the source of the problem of suffering by burying sin in his own body? And who else has come to give us righteousness and who has healed us? No one. We ask of you, Lord God, to impress upon our hearts again this good news. Lord, for those of us here who've known you for a very, very long time, perhaps born in a Christian family, but Lord, who are right now just struggling, Lord, open their eyes again and give them wonder and beauty of who you are. May their hearts continue, Lord, to be softened and melt before your majesty and your love. And may they think less about themselves and more about you. For, Lord, may they become great in your eyes, that they may have great strength and great courage and fearlessness to share in love and word, the truth of the gospel. We pray, Lord, for our friends here, Lord, who are seeking after you, seeking for purpose, seeking for meaning. And we ask of you, Lord God, may the words of, your, of Scripture, Lord, of 1 Peter, may it burn a hole in their hearts and bring about healing and restoration We pray, Lord, for all of us here in this room when the hearing of these words will be saved by you. Lord, save me, oh Lord. Save me. We thank you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.